Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always a pleasure and an honor to be with all of you. I hope you uh, enjoyed the Super Bowl. And um, for those who were able to stomach the State of the Union, uh, I will uh, look at uh, just a a few of the, I think, take-home points that point out, yeah, the obvious, uh, but uh, I think sort of the state of our lack of any foreign policy or direction coming from the White House lately. And we'll talk today about Ilhan Omar and the supposed, according to the left, the unprecedented removal of her from the Foreign Affairs Committee, and also what's happening in Canada. Similarly, but in a more forward fashion, they have identified and appointed an Islamist to an Islamophobia monitoring position, sort of what Ilhan Omar had wanted to do. So first, let's look at the State of the Union. Oh my gosh, you know, we'll, we could get into all the low points, few rare high points where President Biden decided to uh, start screaming at us about whatever might have been on his mind at the time. But I think what remains obvious is now two years into the Biden administration, there is no doctrine to speak of. It's completely missing in action. Secretary of State Blinken and the rest of the foreign policy team have absolutely no discernible, no measurable, no understandable doctrine by which they govern, by which they perform any diplomacy, by which our enemies and our friends can understand where it is we will land. Without a doctrine, you know, every president has a doctrine. The president president's doctrine can then, through that, um, present not only an overriding understanding, but then present some predictability to our enemies. And actually, some may say, oh, no, no, it's better to be unpredictable. Well, unpredictable as far as to be feared, maybe, but unpredictable as far as completely missing an action where hot air balloons can float through airspace from Alaska to the East Coast, and then after they leave the East Coast, then be shot down. Now, yeah, there was another one that was shot down more recently, but bottom line is is this is just a feckless, feckless, feckless re, uh, administration that has absolutely no discernible understanding of what's happening in the Middle East, of what the doctrine is and the approach to Israel, to Saudi Arabia, to Iran and its revolution, to earthquakes that might happen in Syria and Turkey where, and by the way, my my heart and prayers to uh, all of the Syrian American, Turkish Americans and others that have family that uh, I I think last count 25,000 have perished in the earthquake, uh, over seven in the Richter scale. And 
the abominable, disgusting regime of Assad has already refused UN assistance, and I think speaks to the fact that the region in which most of the calamity happened in Syria was a place, the center of the rebellion, a center of many of the families. My family, for example, hails from Aleppo, and this is the region in which the earthquake hit. So he's in no hurry to have them get any help from the world community to have them come in and see what's been happening. Remember, the UN oversight in the area has always been blocked and been not subject to normal responses from the regime that's been savaging its own people over the last 11 to 12 years since the revolution started in 2011. And bottom line is, is, do we hear anything from the White House? Nothing. Turkey has gone off the rails for the past few years and Biden has done nothing. They're receiving Russian missiles while they are also a country, a NATO country. They've been um, basically threatening Greece, threatening countries in the region, including crossing the Syrian border and slaughtering Kurds and nothing from the Biden administration. So when you look at a doctrine, the doctrine is one in which there becomes a predictability, understanding a compass, sort of what is their mission. If, if the administration was to lay out what it would see, would hope to be progress that it would make in, across the Middle East, across Muslim-majority countries, from Saudi Arabia, Iran, to Pakistan, and Afghanistan, we saw that it left with its tail between its legs in one of the most disastrous disastrous departures of America from any foreign operation. And we're still writhing from that abomination of a departure in which airfields were shut down before we actually departed. And then we lost 13 or 14 of our soldiers in a attack by ISIS upon the troops as they departed. I mean, on and on. I remember we spoke about this last August 2021. And again, it speaks to the fact you listen to the State of the Union, there was absolutely nothing. He mentioned China for something like 60 seconds. He mentions Ukraine for something like 90 seconds. And then speaks to the fact that somehow, oh, he has driven what's happening in Ukraine because we're handing them tanks and other things. Well, okay. What's the mission there? What's the end game? There's been no leadership. There's been no understanding to articulate to the American people why, as our economy is tanking, inflation is going up, it makes sense to send Ukraine billions of support. So you can make that argument, and I actually am in support of that, but not blindly. There has to be an end game. There has to be a return of that investment for America as far as security and as far as the cost of not doing anything being more than the cost of doing something. If you can't make that case, then we shouldn't be sending any troops. No troops are. We shouldn't be sending any tanks, any any supplies or weaponry or otherwise. And no, there is no argument to send troops at all. Ukraine 
is doing fine on their own. So without a doctrine, I think that the State of the Union, again, not only disappointed, but pointed out how feckless, how useless, and how poorly positioned this regime is to keep us safe. And nothing spoke more to this than the Democrats' response to Ilhan Omar being removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee. And now with the Republicans as speaker and uh, driving committee assignments, they were able to put on the agenda a vote to have her removed. And you'll remember back in 2021, in December 2021, she authored a what she called the Combating International Islamophobia Act. I called it the American Caliph Act. <laughs> this, was, this was an act in which she wanted to have perched at the State Department, and she wrote a, a legislative proposal along with Representative Schakowsky of Pennsylvania. She wanted to establish in the Department of State an office to monitor and combat Islamophobia. Basically, a blasphemy police it was not about bigotry against Muslims. They called it Islamophobia. Nothing about bigotry. It was called Islamophobia relating to anyone who said something that was critical of Islam would thus be put on the radar. Nothing about foreign countries that are the peak of anti-Muslim activity and bigotry against moderate Muslims, Muslim dissidents, and others in Iran, Saudi Arabia, and elsewhere, Pakistan. No, this was about the West. This was about preventing anti-Muslim bigotry under the rubric of anti-Islamophobia in the United States, in which we would target with Ilhan Omar's buddies, either at CARE or MPAC or ISNA or the Islamic, any of the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups being appointed to this perch. They would then police the speech. They would police any attempt to expose the ideologies that are rampant, that especially now we see in the streets of Iran, that Iranian women are gathering to speak against the forced hijab, the forced sharia and hadood and punishments in which they are being assassinated, tortured, killed in the hundreds every few weeks to a month as the revolution continues to boil across the towns and cities of Iran. But no, that's not Islamophobia by the Islamic regime because, oh, those are the those are the typical Muslims that Ilhan Omar doesn't want to say much about. No, her, her venom is directed towards America, the country that gave her freedom and liberty away from Somalia and her motherland that she doesn't seem to be as critical of as far as its theocratic mindset and a lot of the groups that radicalize its communities. But no, she went to meet with leadership in Somalia. She went to meet with Imran Khan in Pakistan as his Islamist bona fides were not enough in which he was ousted from the Pakistani government and she met with him on the heels of his ouster in Pakistan. She met with Erdogan multiple times, the Islamist leader and neo-caliph of Turkey that has created a, a one-way street as when he was mayor of Istanbul, he declared famously, democracy is like a train. You take it to where you want to get and then you get off. 
She's never criticized that. So whether it's her combating Islamophobia act or any of the statements she made, there was, I think, nothing more appropriate than having her removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee of the House. Now, we saw all of the media and actually most of the arguments being made by the House Republicans and also addressed by CNN and other leftist media was that, oh, she's not a bigot. This is about her anti-Semitism, etc. Absolutely, that's part of the issue is that she is not only an anti-Semite, but she has no concept of the reason why Israel is the strongest ally with the United States and in, in the world. She has no understanding of the security relationship of the of the uh, long-standing history of the American-Israeli relationship and the cornerstone that that brings to appropriate doctrine of foreign policy in the Middle East. Now, to her, she tweeted out many things that are clearly anti-Semitic, and the new anti-Semitism, which is to couch anti-Israel hate against the state of Israel as somehow a cover for the real reality, which is anti-Semitism. But I have to say that the argument goes far beyond that because there are two major committees in Congress in which security clearances, I believe, are, are extremely important. One is the House Intelligence Committee that we saw also members that were appropriately removed from that committee. Eric Swalwell. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that the House Foreign Affairs Committee also deserves that its members pass security clearances. And do we think that Ilhan Omar could pass a security clearance? Remember, ideology, first of all, her family history is suspect. It's never really been clarified about whether she dodged immigration laws and by marrying her brother and all of these other things that are still out there and have been reported significantly by reams of evidence that demonstrate questions that have yet to be answered by her or her campaign or any of her staff. And a number of other areas in which campaign financing that have been uh, also in which her now husband, after she left her previous husband, her new husband, I think they got married, is receiving somewhere between a million dollars in the, every election cycle because of his public relations firm that's also on the dole with her campaign. But the most important part of her inability to pass a security clearance is the fact that she has allegiances that first and foremost are primarily to foreign countries. And no, this is not a trope against her. This is the reality. The reality is, is that constantly her ideology when it comes to America is that we are the aggressors, that the world is the victims of American aggression. That this country is anti-Muslim, anti-Muslim, uh, um, 
you pick the race is racist and, and bigoted and and needs its institutions its foundations destroyed part of the the mantra of the black lives matter movement that she stood and never been critical of the likes of louis farrakhan and others while she then goes and meets with imran khan former president of pakistan that was ousted dictator soccer player that then clearly was rabidly Islamist and she never seemed to be critical of him. And yet, also, by the way, was a duplicitous, corrupt thug that also made, made oh, you know, comments that and, and public support of China all the while supposedly Muslim leaders cared about what was happening to the Uyghurs. So Imran Khan is a, a duplicitous Islamist thug. But when you look at the Taliban, what did Ilhan Omar say after our departure from there and their ascension? She was glad to see us leave. She was glad to see the Taliban ascend. No criticism there. This is not somebody, you know, when we were in the Cold War, we used to vet vet clearances, whether it's in the bureau or in the military or in citizens, whether they had allegiance to communist ideology and especially the Soviet Communist Party. Now, are you telling me now that a, a congressperson and staffers and others that are on the foreign, House Foreign Affairs Committee, there should not be some type of vetting about ideology when it comes to political Islamist theocracy? Ilhan Omar is not suited for that position, and it was very appropriate to have her removed. Look at her positions on Turkey. Look at her positions on Erdogan and how much she loves that government, that party, the AKP, the Muslim Brotherhood, Islamists. And you'll notice her positions against Saudi Arabia, which I'm not a fan of either, have all been animated by a Islamist position against the MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, sort of Wahhabi, monarchical position, corporate Islamist position against the Brotherhood and its war against the Muslim Brotherhood, as we saw with Khashoggi on. And Ilhan Omar came to the defense of the Brotherhood, the Islamists. Not that what the Saudis did was correct or moral, but again, she seems to repeatedly take the position of the Islamists and has no track record, no evidence that anywhere she's anti-Islamist or pro-American, pro-liberty, pro-democracy when it comes to the ideas that we would defend in what should be, I believe, a liberty doctrine. Next, we, it can't help, but we, we have to talk about what's happening in Canada. Similarly, this is, this is unbelievable that it's mirroring. The Islamists are, are pegging off countries in the West, from Austria to, to uh, um, uh, France and on and on. The Islamist battle against Western government now in Austria, they're pushing back quite a bit. In France, they're pushing back. And uh, uh, thanks to, you know, um, the leadership there, there's been a response. Our leadership in America has been silent. Canada, Canada this week appointed, this past few weeks, 
an Islamophobia officer to their government. Yep, you heard that right. And our coalition of Muslims and non-Muslims, our Clarity Coalition, which stands for Champions for Liberty Against Radical Islamist Tyranny, Clarity, Champions for Liberty Against Radical Islamist Tyranny, that includes anti-jihadists of all stripes, former Muslims, active Muslims, Muslim reformers, scholars, academicians, and so many others that you can go to claritycoalition.org to see exactly who's in our coalition. But the bottom line is we put out a statement because this, I think, is, is a penultimate example of what's happening in the West as we sleep with our economic doldrums and otherwise that we're missing what's happening with the jihadists that are moving forward. And we put out a statement that our coalition that stands for liberty and secularism in the face of Islamists that we are vehemently opposed to the federal government of Canada offering an $85 million budget to an Islamophobia officer. Yes, blasphemy will be suppressed via the Canadian people and their tax money and $85 million. Look it up. The Trudeau regime is helping the Islamists advance, and we've said that many times, but now they have put their money where their mouth is to defend the jihadists. Our Clarity Coalition further said that we are against the establishment of the office in general as it offers exclusive protection from the criticism of one religion. It's a dangerous precedent, isn't it? That sets aligning Canada's federal government with theocracies such as Iran or Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia. And the title of the position says everything you need to know about how anti-freedom the contrived position is. And sure, while bigotry against Muslims exists, and we should all fight it as we do against the bigotry against Jews and anti-Semitism and any other faith or, or identity group, the term Islamophobia, as I've told you many times on this program, is a term created by Islamist theocrats to stifle legitimate criticism of various interpretations of Islam. And yet, it's, it's, it's beyond belief the Canadian government carve out a protected position made solely for those theocrats, handing them a platform to suppress flat blasphemy as they do across Muslim-majority nations from Pakistan to Iran and Saudi Arabia. It's just amazing. They even called it that. Now, 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 now who did they appoint? Amira al-Ghawabi. This Islamist came from the CARE Farm Team, the Council on American Islamist Relations, or Islamic Relations, I'm sorry. Better stands for actually the Council for American Islamic Radicalization. <laughs> so no, she didn't come from the diverse reformers, the dissenters, the dissidents and others, no. And do you think it could pop be possible to hire one person to represent the multitude of conflicting beliefs in Islam? Absolutely not. But the federal government of Canada has chosen to hire someone who represents the most fundamentalist group of Muslims. And it gives the false impression. Again, here you have a... And again, believe what you want about hijab. The person they chose was a fundamentalist 
orthodox conservative that is not one of the ones talking about the courage of the Iranian women to fight against obligatory hijab. No, she's a hijabi. No offense to the hijabis, but at the end of the day, is this really in the West? Is this somebody who has the bona fides, who just sort of happens to wear a hijab, or is she a fundamentalist orthodox activist for the Islamists? Look her up. Gives the false impression that Muslims are a monolithic group of fundamentalists. And that's a distorted impression. Many Muslims in Canada, like those who are part of our Clarity Coalition, do not feel represented or supported by the office in the Canadian government, especially not by that individual. She has an established connection to CARE, an organization, as I've told you many times here, that the U.S. government cited in the Holy Land Foundation Hamas fundraising uh, fundraising trial of 2009 as unindicted co-conspirators. The connections were pretty clear. Regardless of what they want to say, they tried to have that name removed. The court refused in their suit to remove the unindicted co-conspirator status. Why? Because they are intimately intertwined and connected to the mosque fundraising networks of the Islamist network, of the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups that were listed that were talked about at that trial that emanated all the way from that Philadelphia meeting of Hamas, Muslim Brotherhood, and other groups in 1991. Al-Gawabi also has famously defamed and insulted French Canadians. Significant population of the constituent she's being paid handsomely, we see, to speak for. She also, here's, here's, a, here's an example of her fundamentalist position. She publicly supported hijab on children and attacked those who opposed the mandated religious clothing on children and said that they were intolerant and other things. And most egregiously, she unequivocally refused to make a distinction between bigotry against Muslims as people and criticism of Islam, a religion. Our Muslim reform movement, I'll remind you, says that Islam is an idea. It has no rights. There's no protection it should have should be afforded, just like Christianity and Judaism don't have protections from free speech. But no, the Islamists want to carve out a special position, as the Canadian government now has carved out a special position for Islam that would make the Saudi theocrats, Wahhabis, proud, that would make the Pakistani uh, uh, Sharia supremacists proud, that would make the Khomeinists of Tehran proud. That would make the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamists of Al-Azhar University in Cairo proud. On top of the multiple expressions on social media to illustrate this, Al-Ghawabi also wrote an article in which he equates the publishing of Charlie Hebdo's cartoons with racism. She chose to conflate two very distinct ideas. Bigotry against people and criticism of religions and or ideologies. And, and I'm sorry, hello, Canadians. Doesn't that put her in opposition to one of Canada's most important values, free expression, as our Clarity Coalition statement put out a few days ago? So we oppose her appointment and the role of the Islamophobia officer itself. What a disaster. 
The Clarity Coalition believes that people of all religions, faiths, and beliefs deserve protection from bigotry and hate. We stand in solidarity with all people from all groups who believe in the liberal values of freedom of expression and freedom of religion and belief. So I we beg of you, knock on the doors of the members of parliament and and government of Canada to find out why the heck this moved forward and moved through. How did this pass? I've testified to the Canadian government before. We have members of our coalition in Canada that include Raheel Raza and so many others. Ask them their opinion of Amira Al-Gawabi. What's their position of her? Why, why has she been chosen? What is this position? What do Muslims think about it? It's so amazing to me that things happen in the name of Muslims in Islam that don't happen under any other faith and yet are just sort of transported and imposed on us here as if we're still living in Syria or Iran. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. So please, start talking about it. Start talking to in, in the universities about what's happening when, why are these Islamophobia perches being placed and what good that does it's going to spread more anti-semitism it's going to spread more anti-americanism pro-islamism it's going to give empowerment to the muslim brotherhood lobby and groups and be nothing helpful when it comes to the security of canada or the united states just as we made a lot of headway i think in progress by removing ilhan omar from the house foreign affairs committee and amir al-gawabi has no place getting a position funded with 85 million dollars oh my god so stay tuned and we'll expose some of the things that that perch will be doing under the name of the canadian government but actually under the rubric of the ops operations of islamist movements so stay strong start talking to your friends about what's actually happening when it comes to the world of islam and reform and hopefully one of these days the president, if he remembers, can come up with uh, and his you know facilitators, enablers around him can come up with some type of doctrine. What is it that this country stands for? What is it that our commander-in-chief stands for when it comes to foreign policy? Isn't that their main, his main job? I mean, we have at least uh, a, a House and a Senate that checks domestic policy, but when it comes to foreign policy, that's that's his primary job. And yet, we have no idea where the Biden administration doctrine is. It's completely absent and has been a, a weakening, if not a post-American presidency as Obama was. Now it's 3.0. So, Thank you again for listening to the podcast on Reform This. Tell your friends about it and find me on Twitter at Reform This Radio and also at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R and also at Blaze TV and Blaze Podcast Network. So God bless and we'll see you soon. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.